Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Our passage today is found in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. We're in a series that we're called, calling Kingdom Time, um, and that just simply is a, a marker of the time in the church calendar that we're in. Uh, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians here for the next few weeks. Uh, and so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to click there or follow along with me, I'm going to begin reading uh, out of verse 6 and just through verse 10, so a short passage this morning. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body whether good or evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, packed into this short passage of Scripture this morning are ideas about death and judgment, two small topics that are easily understood that we all love to talk about, right? <laughs> I'm glad that some of you picked up on my sarcasm. I, I mean, this is a heavy-hitting passage touching on some really important topics, but topics that very well could, we could spend a lifetime thinking about and studying and trying to understand. And so um, rather than commit you for the rest of your life, I commit you for the next few moments as we look at this together and try to make sense as best as we can of this passage and really understanding what the Apostle Paul is up to uh, and what he's doing. And so first, uh, we, we kind of come across this, some ideas about death. And Paul says, uh, it, it's great to be um, away from the body because that means to be at home with the Lord. Uh, and, you know, this is a really popular passage of Scripture at memorial service, uh, especially when we talk about or think about the deceased going into heaven. Uh, that it's better to be away from the body because to be away from the body is to be with the Lord. And this also means, and Paul says this explicitly, that to be in the body is to be away from the Lord, which can be confusing, right? Here we are in our bodies, seeking in church on a Sunday morning, on a beautiful day, you're here seeking after the Lord, seeking to be in communion with God. And so what could Paul possibly mean? Is it, in fact, just as simple as to say that to be in the body is to be away from the Lord, um, and so the body is a burden that we must carry until we are finally freed from the body that we might share in communion with God. Is it that simple? And are we to understand then that death is a friend that releases us from this burden that we carry called physicality? Well, is this in fact what really Paul is saying? I think it's important that we consider Paul's teaching in here uh, as part of his broader teaching, right? Uh, this is really important. We have to consider this thought in light of all of Paul's thought. 
Uh, and this is something we must be always careful to do because Paul held on to a coherent theological system of belief. Uh, that is to say that uh, Paul had a, a system or set of beliefs that were coherent with one another. So if we see that they are in conflict or they don't make sense, we need to lean in and seek to understand rather than kind of cherry pick out certain words without consideration of other teachings. Does that make sense? Okay, so some, some good Bible advice here this morning. And so when we consider this idea of being in the body is being away from the Lord, how does that square with some of Paul's other teaching, and is there something else then going on? Well, Paul has taught us that the Spirit of God moves ahead of us in this thing that theologians have called provenient grace, that the Spirit of God is going out before us, drawing us in, inviting us into a life filled with the Spirit. Paul has taught us that we have been united with Christ by baptism, that in, we have been baptized into Christ, that we have shared in the death of Christ so that we may also share in the resurrection of Christ, Romans chapter 5. Paul has taught us that the Spirit of God actually lives inside of us, that we are to be led or driven in some way by the Spirit of Christ that is in us. And so, in the body... We are not removed from God at all, but in fact, God is quite close. And this is a lot of what Paul's teaching is trying to show us, that we have been made new creations in Christ, and now we must live into this new identity. So what does he mean then uh, that to be in the body is to be away from the Lord? Well, we must hold together in tension these realities, this fact that God is quite close, that we've been united with Christ in baptism, that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. We must hold that in tension with the full mystery of the character and being of God. And so, Paul essentially wants to say and to point out, and this is very coherent with Paul's theology, that heaven and earth right now are separated they are two realms of reality, right? They're two realms of reality that we've, they've not yet come together as God has promised that they one day will. And so we could put it this way, there's a veil that exists between us and our experience of the divine. Are you with me? There's a veil that exists between us and our experience of the divine because heaven and earth are separated realms. Now, the good news of the gospel is that the work of God in the world is to bring these two realms together so that heaven and earth will be one. Or as Jesus, Jesus taught us to pray, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the reality is sometimes this veil feels very thick, right? And our sense of God, our sense of the divine feels very far away. And we just go through seasons of our life where we just feel really disconnected from that which is holy, that which is divine, the character of God. But there are times when that veil seems quite thin and we experience God as infinitely close and we experience this sense of holy presence. And man, those are magical moments, right? In fact, sometimes when people have 
talked about or, or when they share experiences of God and the divine, uh, they refer to those experiences as thin spaces. And this, this saying, this thin space, if you ever hear someone say thin space, there's probably a likelihood, uh, if, they're, if they're a person of, of faith or spirituality, that they're talking about this concept of the veil between heaven and earth being thin in those moments, that we feel very connected to that which is most holy, most important in life. And so in the body, we are removed from the Lord in the sense that heaven and earth are not yet joined, okay? So rather than kind of understanding that being in the body is a bad thing and being away from the body is a good thing, let's kind of reframe our thinking and understand Paul's concept of heaven and earth as these realms of reality that are overlapping, we call that the veil, right? And when it overlaps, the veil is very thin. When they feel far away, the veil is very thick. And we kind of go through this ebb and flow in life. But Paul's conviction is that for as long as we are in the body as we are in the body right now, in our current bodies, we are away from the Lord or removed from the Lord because we are still living in these separated realms. Does this make sense? Okay, I didn't warn you about the deep dive today, so um, I apologize for that, but here we are in the middle of the swim, okay? This is why then, in verse 8, Paul says that we live by faith and not by sight, that if these two realms, if heaven and earth were already joined, this idea of trust or faith would no longer be necessary. But because we live in these realms that are overlapping but not quite together, Paul says we have to live by faith and not by sight. And so faith is not being fully certain. If that were the case, there would be no need for trust. But neither is faith not knowing anything at all. Right? For we have seen evidence of God in enough of life that we can trust that God will one day bring to completion the work that has begun to bring heaven and earth together. And the faithful said, amen. Right? So faith is not this kind of sense of everything is certain, but neither is faith this sense of we don't know anything. The, the sweet spot for faith is we've kind of got enough evidence to go on that we decide to place our trust in the work that God is doing in the world. And so we live by faith, not by sight. But isn't it true that sometimes our perceptions of faith err in one of these ways, right? I mean, when we talk about faith as a, as a as a capital C church community, as we, as we use faith in conversation, sometimes we're making the error in one of these directions, which is to say we either see faith as futile because nothing can be certain, so we choose to believe and trust nothing. That's one option, right? Nothing can be certain, and so faith is futile and trust is of no good. Or... We also tend to do this, and I've seen this more often among the faithful. We tend to think that faith is measured in degrees of certainty. That having more faith just means being more sure, right? But faith is found somewhere in the middle. We trust, though we cannot fully see. Actually, um, 
this is part of the reason why one of our communion liturgies that we use pretty often says, may we learn to embrace the mystery of that which we cannot fully explain, and may our hearts hope for that which we cannot yet fully see. Wow. It's like when we're coming to the table to remember the work of God in Christ, in the work of our, that has won our salvation, we want to kind of wrap our arms around the mystery of who God is and all that God has done. And so may our hearts hope for that which we cannot yet fully see. Well, here is where all this lands then. I told uh, somebody coming in that this morning's message was on death and judgment. <laughs> and in fact, it is. Here we are talking about death and judgment. So here's, here's where Paul's kind of thought on this idea of death, right? Because he's talking about being in the body or away from the body. And we, we shouldn't mean that to think physical or non-physical. He's thinking like our present bodies and our future bodies, okay? Um, in other words, the, the hope of heaven is not that our souls fly away into a disembodied existence. The hope of heaven is that we will have new creation come to bear right here and right now. Okay, so here's where all of this lands. Paul proposes that at the time of death, the veil is removed and we experience the fullness of the presence of God. Amen. Even as we await the joining of heaven and earth and the redemption of our bodies. So let me say it again all together. Paul proposes that at the time of death, the veil is removed and we experience all the fullness of the presence of God even as we await the joining of heaven and earth and the redemption of our bodies. In this way, then, death is not a friend that releases us from the burden of physicality. Death is an enemy that has been defeated through resurrection. This is really, really important for like kind of foundational Christian belief. Because a lot of times the way the gospel is communicated or presented to us is we kind of end with at death, we go and our soul floats off into heaven, right? And that is part of the equation. At death, we experience all the fullness of the presence of God while we await new creation and the redemption of our bodies. Amen. And so this is really helpful when considering how Christians should think about death, how we should approach death. This is really important when it comes to the memorial service, those kinds of things. And it also informs how we live, right? And this is probably a little bit late uh, in the pandemic, which is coming to an end, praise God, right? But how is, Christian, how is the Christian community, should we approach this? We do not fear death because we have the promise of resurrection. But neither do we befriend death as though this kind of trappings of physicality are bad and we want to escape, right? So we don't fear death, but nor do we befriend death. We recognize death is defeated through resurrection. Does this make sense? Not much feedback there, so I'm gonna hope that you're just really thinking about it and like really like, mm, like, you're silently thinking, mm, that is so good, okay? I'm going to go with that assumption. And so what Paul then says, and this is the transition, right? He says, whether then you are in the body or away from the body, everything you should do should be to live in such a way as to be pleasing to the Lord. 
which leads us then to judgment. Great. We just finished death. Now we got to go right into judgment. Uh, so I'm just doing what Paul did. Uh, and so here we go. Let's admit up front that no one likes the idea or the concept of judgment. This is not something that you just want to talk about. Uh, you know, you're going out with your friends on Friday night, and you're like, hey, let's talk about the judgment of God. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, that'd be really great over some cream soda and stuff. So uh, nobody's doing that, right? So here we are uh, talking about it on Sunday morning. No one likes to think about the idea of judgment. But in this passage, Paul states... The judgment will come based on the deeds or the actions that were done in the body. Okay? This especially makes Christians anxious because we have placed so much emphasis on belief. We have, as modern Christians, we have placed so much emphasis on believing the right things that when Paul says you're going to be judged based on the deeds in the body, we get real, like our skin starts to crawl and we get really anxious, right? Uh, And so we like to take deeds or actions out of the equation because actually of one of Paul's most famous teachings, which is that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works, right? We love that, and it's one of Paul's most famous teachings. And so the theological term for that idea, saved by grace through faith and not by works, The theological term for that idea is called justification by faith. Justification is to be made righteous or declared righteous. So if you are justified, you are declared righteous. And Paul's really emphatic teaching is that this is on the basis not of what we do, but on our faith or our trust. And yet here we almost see the exact opposite. So surely we have thought, if we uh, believe the right things and have faith, then we'll be rescued from such judgment. So how does Paul's insistence that we are justified by faith fit into this teaching about judgment based on deeds? Well, let's keep swimming in the deep waters. And I have two observations, okay? The first observation is this. Justification by faith does not mean that moral behavior doesn't matter as long as you have faith. Justification by faith does not mean that moral behavior doesn't matter as long as you have faith. This is a cheap grace, or what theologians have called cheap grace. It's like saying, I know I'm forgiven, so I'm going to go do what I want, right? I'm going to act however I want. I'm going to act in ways that are not in line with the will of God because I'm going to abuse God's forgiveness. So justification by faith does not mean moral behavior doesn't matter as long as you have faith. What it means, and this is where I really want you to like lean in, okay? What it means is the future verdict of your righteousness has been brought into the present. I thought you'd be with me more, so I'll say it again. It's okay. Listen, it's like kind of warm in here. It's like, I know there's a lot going on. So just like, um, like hang in, here it goes. We're going, to do, we're going to try it one more time. <laughs> Here's what justification by faith means. It means the future verdict of your righteousness has been brought into the present. So, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, I still don't get it, but I'm pretty sure I need to say something. So, um, 
So here's, like, what it means is by the strength of the Spirit of God inside of you, you can become the person that you have been declared to be in justification. So justification declares you to be a certain way, and then by the strength of the Spirit of God, you become that person. You live into that new identity, right? So that's the first observation as to how Paul can hold these two ideas together, that we are justified by faith and yet judged by our actions in the body. Paul's assumption is that your justification by the Spirit of God is changing something about how you live. That there's this, this new declaration of who you are in Christ and that now you are living into that. Right? That's Paul's assumption. Okay, observation number two. God's infinite love and forgiveness is not moral indifference. I talk a lot about God's love and how God is love and the core characteristic of God is love and all the other characteristics that we would use to describe God are simply an expression of God's love, right? And so God's love, God's infinite love and forgiveness, however, is not to be understood as moral indifference. Think about this. If someone has harmed you and you need to forgive them, offering forgiveness does not mean that the harm they did was okay. In fact, it means that the harm they did to you was not okay, and that's why forgiveness is necessary, and that's why forgiveness is needed, right? And so, let me be clear, church, that when we think about God's judgment, God does not tolerate evil, and it will not be allowed in God's new creation. This is precisely why God in Christ absorbs the sin of the world in order to free us from bondage to sin and injustice. This is precisely why God desires to set us free from the bondage of sin, transform our hearts so that we will be at home in God's new world. Are you with me? Okay, so this process of cleansing and of sorting and of trans and transforming and transformation can be called judgment. Okay? Sometimes we think judgment is doling out punishment. I don't think that's the scriptural version of God's judgment. God's judgment is a sorting a cleansing, a working out, a transformation of hearts, a, 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 a like application of the good news, allowing us more and more to live into the people that we are designed to be in God's creation so that we are at home in new creation. Amen? Now, don't misunderstand this as an easy process. <laughs> Daniel mentioned during our worship set the pruning of God, which sometimes is very, very difficult, right? And can be really uncomfortable. And so judgment can be uncomfortable, but let's not think about it as God sort of just punishing what God sees. It's this idea of judgment is God sorting out and transforming us more and more into likeness. In fact, I've often said, including in this message, that discipleship is not the gathering of more information, but discipleship is learning to live according to the truth of who we are in Christ. That's discipleship. 
Discipleship is not gathering more information or new information. It can include that, right? Um, But discipleship is at its core learning to live according to who we are in Christ, learning to live into our new identity in Christ. Uh, And that certainly bears true in our passage this morning. Okay, that was a lot. And I just, I worked all week on like fun illustrations about death and judgment and like all this stuff. And I decided I'm just going to give it to him straight. So there, I gave it to you as straight as I could. How'd we do? We did all right? I've got, I've given you a lots to think about, okay? Um, but in Paul's, Paul's understanding this short little passage, some ideas about death and judgment. So may we come to know in our hearts that you have been declared righteous forgiven by the great love of God and given hope of resurrection and new life. And may we learn to live according to this truth. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, you are indeed gracious to us. And for that we are so thankful. We pray, God, that you would, in these moments, challenge us. We've heard a lot, and and perhaps concepts that we aren't used to or haven't heard before. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom for understanding so that we might also then be formed and shaped into your likeness, that our lives might bear the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, be with us now as we gather around your table to remember and to celebrate that you in Christ took on our sin and the very sin of the entire world that we might be set free from the bondage to sin. Lord, I recognize this morning that each and every one of us, myself included, have areas of our lives where we have been declared new and yet it just feels like the old. And so I pray, God, that you would, by the strength of your spirit, by the movement of God in our own lives, encourage us toward greater Christ-likeness. Knowing that maybe as soon as that area is, is, is being worked on and you're forming us and shaping us, that no doubt there will be another one, for this, in fact, is a lifelong project of living by faith and not by sight. But Lord, let us and help us live by faith, with hope, centered on love. May it be true of all of us, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.